Welcome to Hacked in the Dark, a podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers. I'm Justin. I'll be your host for the episode Urban Fantasy with Jason Pitt. Jason, thanks for being on the show today. Hi there. It's my absolute pleasure to be on the show today, and I've enjoyed what I've heard so far of Hacked in the Dark. Fortunately, I was able to get in on the ground floor. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. You're in the single digits in terms of episodes, which we both appreciate you for for joining us in our single digit episodes whenever we're still building a following. But also, I hope it also pays back for you in terms of the Kickstarter, which is what we're partially here to talk about today. You're kickstarting SIG, City of Blades. Yes, I've been designing for far too long, it seems. Mm -hmm. Something like a bit over 10 years. And I think this is my seventh Kickstarter. Wow. Yeah. So I've done the rodeo once or twice. Mm -hmm. When I'm not running far too many Kickstarters, I'm also the host of the RPG Design Panelcast, which has recorded panels and discussions about game design and includes a very nice one with Strosh and John LaBeouf Little about Forge in the Dark design. Yes. Which folks should absolutely check out. Yes, they should. I've listened to that one and it's really good. Everyone should listen to that. I understand this year Metatopia is going to be online and you're going to be recording podcasts. I understand that Strosh might be moderating a Forge in the Dark panel as well for that, is my understanding. I know things are still shaping up as far as panels are concerned for Metatopia. Yeah, it's, it's still shaping up, but it's going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be in the very beginning of November 2020. It's 2020. No one knows what time is anymore. <laughs> No, and we can't avoid saying that ugly word, 2020, unfortunately. We have to say it a lot now when we're promoting Kickstarters, etc. It is a heck of a decade. Um, it's coming too close. We'll see what happens. Speaking of a decade, Jason, you said you've been creating games for like 10 years now. Yep. Do you want to talk about what, what other games might we know you from? My first game was called Spark. I released that in 2013, followed by a supplement for it called Sig the City Between which expanded into SIG Manual of the Primes. And all of the SIG games are the same planar fantasy setting. And as I was doing the last Kickstarter, I recognized, wow, this actually works real well with Blades in the Dark as it was currently being developed. I was watching John's stuff on his Patreon before Blades came out. Mm -hmm. So I was seeing bits of this tech dropping in through his various games. So I actually first thought about Sig and Blades by looking at bootleggers. Uh-huh. I've not even looked at bootleggers, honestly. It's the faction mechanic. Oh, okay. That's where the faction mechanic came from. That's intriguing, because I know that a number of mechanics and Blades can also be traced back to, like, Aegon, the original Aegon, and also John's other big game, Lady Blackbird. And there's, there's a bunch of other ones. There's a bunch of small games that you can check out from his collection. Well, we're not here to talk about John today. At least not directly. But uh, yeah, so some of the other things I've also done have been, I recently released Palanquin, which is a mm -hmm. small zine game of the heir to the throne uh, who escaped a palace coup with the help of unlikely rescuers. Ooh. I also released After the War, which is my memetic science fiction horror game. Yes, that's an interesting one to me. It's one I want to get my hands on. So I, I've been busy. It sounds like it. How did you how did you get your start in game design? I will actually have to say, if you go back far enough, I'm going to blame Planescape. 
Big surprise that. <laughs> because I started in second ed. Mm-hmm. Of course, I started at the tail end of second ed D&D. So I grabbed all of the material I could find. And Planescape blew my mind open and said, wait, you mean a, a role-playing game can be this different? You can have a game about planes of existence and gods walking down the street and philosophy? <laughs> what? So I started, you know, doing the standard D&D hackery, which was the foundation for my future game design career. Yeah, it really feels based on what you what you grabbed onto there that you kind of found the soul of the indie game designer. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I was like, <laughs> through D&D somehow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Within Planescape. It was the wrong system for the setting that they had presented, fundamentally. And I was just blown away that there could be a setting this far from the core. SIG, the setting, is plainly heavily inspired by Planescape. I don't think you've made any effort to hide that at all. But there's other inspirations. You have a number of games in the setting, and we're going to talk about SIG, but I'm curious, like, one thing I'd like to know is, with your different explorations of the game, can you talk about, like, what aspects of that setting you're exploring in in one game versus City of Blades? SIG Manual of Primes, which is the other comparator, Mm -hmm. is a game about uh, confronting your beliefs, collaborative world-building, philosophical conflicts, etc., interpersonal relationships and drama, that kind of thing. I have gotten a scene where a player character has had a dramatic showdown with their divine father because he was always at work and never had time for his kid. So like a deadbeat divine parent. So it's all about these relationships and exploring philosophical ideas. Now, Because it's a bigger setting, I had also set the ground for faction conflicts between these large groups that are half government, half organization, uh, like half mob. So they're always fighting in the streets, and that synced up beautifully with Blades. So for Sig City of Blades, what I did is I took... Uh, that setting, and I focused in on those kinds of conflicts where the Teachers Guild is planning to steal the rat farms away from the Farmers Guild so that they can use that turf to get a greater position in the city. So it's all of these different guilds that are fighting for specific pieces of turf. So I could really lean heavily into the beautiful faction system that I adore from Blaze. So that's why I wanted to go in that direction, so that I could be exploring those kinds of factional conflicts and issues of sort of balkanization, mm-hmm. as opposed to Manual of the Primes, which is touchy-feely philosophy. Functionally, SIG, Manual of the Primes, is the good place. Right. It's a little wacky. It's very philosophical. And this is more... If anyone has read the book... City of Jade by Fonda Lee. That's a good touchstone. It's uh, also just a great book, but it's more of a standard bladesy kind of setup. I listened to an actual play, I think by a role-playing public radio of one of the previous SIG games a long time ago, 
and it struck me a little bit like maybe Ankh Morpork as, as a yep. slight inspiration or kind of a feel. Okay, yep. that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And Kill Six Billion Demons Saga mm-hmm. and Planar Codex are the big inspirations. That does seem like a natural fit for Blades, right? Because Blades is a, it's an urban fantasy game. You're in a, in a rich environment that is nonetheless you know cramped and contained, and there's all kinds of forces at play. In Blades, it's it's largely just the factions, but I can see in Sig, it's it's not only the factions, but these elemental forces yep. too that are hanging over everyone. How does that affect the world? So the city is bound to three different planes of existence at any point in time. So the plane of flame, the plane of tyranny, and the plane of dreams, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that power, planar power, flows into the city. That strengthens a lot of magic. It strengthens the organizations that are in the city and strengthens certain gods, etc. The three factions that are connected to these planes effectively get supercharged. But it also goes the other direction. If your faction grows in power, the tethers can change. So if you grow to be dominant in the city, then a different plane of existence will hook into the city and start flooding the city with power. You'll get a whole bunch of supports and you'll be able to maintain your position. So you're functionally changing how the city is connected to the multiverse by growing in temporal power. It sounds like almost a kind of cosmic bounce yep. that's happening between the factions and these bigger forces, these universal forces. Exactly. That's really cool. There have been a number of urban fantasy games that have popped up in popularity in the indie scene over the last few years, Blades being one of the prime examples. But we've also had the Spire yep. come up into prominence recently, which a lot of people really love. Sig is, you know, is a hack of Blades, but I imagine its urban setting is is fairly different. Do you want to talk about that setting a little bit more? Yeah, so the setting itself is effectively, this is the one city that's connected to everything in the multiverse. All different planes of existence and prime worlds. So every kind of wacky portal, gateway, etc. effectively hooks into this weird planar city uh, in a Mobius Strip. Which means that you get a constant influx of new ideas, new powers, random gods showing up. Cults are fairly common. There is no status quo, functionally. Everything is a delicate balance between forces. So, like Duskfall, it has the tension between these different forces and a very constrained holding space. In the same way that you can theoretically leave Duskwall. Not really. For the most part, you're stuck in the city, so you have to deal with the problems that are here. It's, for the most part, it's the same thing in SIG. Yes, you can run off and do missions in other places. You can sneak into the Vault of Heaven and steal the immortality of a dying star. I mean, sure, that's a good job. But then you have to go come back home to the city. So it, it maintains that sort of claustrophobic holding space that works so well with Blades. But it also has religion being fairly prominent. Every character is a servitor of one of the various powers uh, of the city. It has people who come from a wide variety of different lineages, such as 
a giant or effectively an ent, a gnome, etc. And you all come from different cultures as well. So you can be a truth bearer who is proclaiming a divine mandate, or you can be a scoundrel or an alchemist, etc. So all of these bits of complexity feed into some really unusual characters that emerge. With all that variety, there's potentially the, the tendency of that to become a little gonzo, in, maybe in a good way, right? Is that something you embrace with the setting? So there is a very specific vibe that mm-hmm. I try to encourage. It's a little similar to Ankh-Morpork, Pork, but a little bit more serious. It's the contrast between the mundane realities of city life and the magical realism, the magical weirdness of the multiverse. It's walking down the street and seeing the eight-armed, uh, blue-skinned goddess of law sitting at a cafe drinking her chai <laughs> while reading through contracts. That is the thing. It's the, everyone lives here. Some of them happen to be demigods wandering on the street pissed off that someone got in their way. It's uh, that element from Planescape that, you know, oh yeah, it, it's a demon, but he's really just a fishmonger. He happens to have horns, but he's just trying to sell you fish. That kind of surreal contrast of these two elements. So a decent element of the mundane is essential for that kind of vibe to work well. So that sort of restrains it from going full gonzo. That makes sense to me. You're mentioning this multiverse. Yep. Now, we kind of have an idea for what that is in, in terms of, you know, Wizard of the Coast properties with yep. Planescape. What does that mean as far as SIG is concerned? There are 15 major planes of existence, which are, let's see if I can recall them off the top of my head, flame, wind, waves, stone, ice, freedom, order, tyranny, justice, and destruction. And the planes of concepts, such as dreams, shadows, lore, life, and death. So these are the fundamental building blocks of the universe, of the multiverse. And everything of those substances is in some way bound to those planes. When someone dies, the plane of death is connected. When a tree grows, it's pull- it's growing because it's expressing the power of the plane of life. So everything is effectively drawing from these infinite pools of power. It's just a lot more direct in SIG because of these huge planar tethers, which are effectively ports, planar ports. So that shapes the city in a very real and interesting way. There's also an infinite number of mortal planes, immortal prime worlds, which are Earth, the Forgotten Realms, uh, any kind of normal world full of mortals. So there's a lot of potential. Oh, yeah, there's traces of amber as well as an inspiration. Because it all comes down to this is the city in the center of everything. I can imagine a lot of GMs kind of bringing their own game universes from from years past into the setting as nods to sessions past very easily that seems really cool blades is very clearly 
a game about doing crimes. Yep. And I could see Sig being similar, but is it? You know, it's the City of Blades in this edition. Yep. What does that mean? What are players doing? The key contrast in terms of the situation of play is in Duskfall, the blue coats run things. There is a policing service. People do get arrested and taken to Ironhook Prison. There is no central government in SIG. There used to be, but the Silent Region got deposed about 20 years ago. So now it's just anarchy. There's a group called the Enforcers who, they're libertarian thugs and private security, effectively. But that's about it. So you're not worrying about the police coming in and arresting you for your crimes. Instead, it's the, oh, you have pissed off the wrong gang. You have angered the wrong person in the wrong guild. So now they're going to come after you with rather sharp and pointy sticks and get their revenge. So it's more of a uh, faction war sort of mob warfare instead of a we're committing crimes against the state. So that's sort of the big conceptual shift in terms of the setting. But beyond that, you're mostly just trying to seize territory, get rich, and earn infamy. I'll get into all the details on that bit. <laughs> I've made a whole bunch of little and moderate-sized mechanical changes to blades to fit the setting. Mm -hmm. One of which is I merge reputation and heat into infamy. So the more infamy you have, the more fallout you'll get uh, the more likely you'll get followed and the more followed you'll get at the end of every mission. Functionally, you make a resistance roll with the number of empty fallout boxes you have on your track. Oh. And instead of getting stressed, you get bad things that happen. You get consequences as a result of... Yeah, it's the entanglement mechanic. It's Functionally, you get entanglements based on how poorly you did on that resistance roll. So if you roll the six, you're fine. Yeah, that's a very direct representation of if you're trying to emphasize these factions, it makes sense that the entanglements would be given a, a strong priority and the presence up front in the player level. Yeah. When you fill your track to max, if you've got stronghold and if you have enough turf, you will upgrade to the next tier. Mm -hmm. But the amount of territory that you hold is the, the like the number of claims you have is the hard cap on what tier you can be. So if you take over this piece of territory, you can cap another faction. So they drop in power, but you haven't gained in power yet. So infamy lets you get more faction advances. Uh, it lets you strengthen your hold. It lets you do all of those fun things that you want to do. So Instead of a, we need to keep our heat low all the time, and we need to improve our reputation all the time. It's a, okay, let's go quiet for two to three missions and try to, you know, be pretty stealthy. And then let's make a statement, burn down their favorite bar, and leave a lot of bodies. Because we want to make a statement to show that we're actually tough and we're on top. So sometimes you'll try to get as much infamy as possible to fill up your track and then clear your track. Acknowledging that Blades itself doesn't really have a built-in end game, does, does Sig have one? 
at all? Does it have an end point in mind? The setting goal is get up to be the top tier. Be tier five. There's only three tier fives at any point in time. Uh, and you all start at tier one. All, all of the player factions are tier one. So you have to climb quite a bit to get there. You can continue more after that. But that's sort of the standard expected arc that you're just climbing your way to the top. In Blades in the Dark, players have access to a bunch of different playbooks that are based on these urban fantasy tropes. Your game draws inspiration from all kinds of fiction, including, you know, standard fantasy. What kind of characters can people play in SIG? So you know how I mentioned cultures and lineages and devotions. So cultures are what kind of cultural baggage and perspective you come from. Lineage can be everything from giants to winged angels to people from the plane of flame who have magma flowing through their veins, etc. So there's a wide variety there. And the main game has 15 or 16 different sort of major species that are the most common. But you can be, uh, like on the front cover, we have a lizard centaur. <laughs> that's what I'm playing. <laughs> and that's totally playable. You could you could just play a gecko centaur kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. You can play a fire elemental if you want. It's Mechanically, it's pretty fine. The way that we handle this is each of those elements comes with preset action dots for one of the three attributes. So the insight attribute is always assigned to your culture. The prowess is assigned to your lineage and the resolve is assigned to your devotion. So you build your character out of these three components and they give you your initial action dots. And they also give you a set of advances that you can use that you can choose to gain. So that's how you get your list of potential advances. And it also gives you effectively drives, which are motivators that are filling the same role as vices. So that's sort of how these bits come together to build interesting and diverse characters. But you can easily make your own using that same formula. I've seen some Forge in the Dark games that have modular playbooks before. We, we just interviewed... Eric of Brinkwood, and, and they have a kind of modular system as well. I've not seen one quite as intricate as what you put forth for, you know, potentially quickly making a constructing a c- complete character with the forethought of the different attributes and such like that, assigning points to those based on what you choose. That's pretty cool. I like that. And it does have kind of a more traditional fantasy game uh, feel to it while still being very true to Blades, you know, mix and match. And it has expandability, which is the key thing. I could have easily put in double the amount of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It just would have been exhausting. But I could have easily put in like, oh, here's another 20 different lineages you can come from. And oh, here, have another half dozen gods. Sure. How do you handle things like special abilities with that kind of piecemeal style? Is it just, they're just in the book and you have to enter them as you take them or? What I do is I'm actually using a layered PDF. So you toggle on. This is going to be the culture I toggle on. This is going to be the lineage I toggle on. And then this is the devotion I toggle on. And then it just shows up on the character sheet that way. Wow. That's something I have not yet to master as a game designer. (laughs) PDF stuff like that. The other thing is you can just literally 
print off all the character sheets, cut them, and there you go. You got, I'll take this piece and this piece and this piece. We're done. So we've learned a little bit about SIG. I'm wondering, I'm noticing that a lot of your games, if they're not dealing with urban fantasy, they're dealing with science fiction, human, loosely interpreted based science fiction, focusing characters and stuff like that. Yeah. Is there something about the human element to you in, in terms of urban fantasy that it's attractive? I find that at the heart of things, human relationships and human analog relationships are fundamental to a compelling role-playing experience. And they're also key tools necessary for a GM to be able to interact with players, to have actual characters in place, NPCs, as an interface point. So I find that the urban fantasy and uh, settlement-based gameplay, where it's, you know, here's a tightly knit community, means that you're able to set up these characters to connect all of the PCs together and have some kind of dramatic foil that they can work against. So that I find that the genre does a really good job of setting up melodrama and narrative drama. I mean, a beautiful example of this is actually in Core Blades, where a certain prostitute also happens to be a body-hopping uh, specter. <laughs> yes. That is the kind of <laughs> thing I want everywhere. Because I, I like that kind of complexity of character. Yes. Where people are connected to each other that way. Yeah, that's a tactic I encourage people to copy. Definitely include the same character multiple times on different character sheets. Yep. Under your friends and rivals list and elsewhere. No, that's really cool. And I think I can see that in your focus on factions and, and culture. Personally, that's something that's really attractive to me about Blades and about SIG as well, is the idea of having the opportunity to interact with these different and distinct cultural identities, motivations, you know, and, and aesthetics as well, which is something that you really get in urban fantasy that you, you maybe only get a taste of in other, in other kinds of exactly, yeah. fantasy role-playing. We know how much the modern D&D player loves all of the diverse arrangement of fantasy races and such. I wouldn't be surprised to see in SIG if a lot of people still playing Tiflings and such. There's no formal Tifling, but yeah. But you can't stop them. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And you don't try to. No. <laughs> Expect it is what I'm saying. You can't stop the Tiflings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've seen people try and play Tiflings and Blades, and I encourage it. Um, <laughs> but I love the idea that here we get with urban fantasy, we have the opportunity to actually like flesh out what does it mean to be a Tifling? And that can be part of our story, you know, as exploring that, as opposed to exactly. just an assumption about your race or, or what have you, or your species. It, it becomes a whole cultural identity that you, you maybe have to wrestle with in a close-knit city like that. Exactly. And you can also have family relationships where, hey, my brother's working for the opposite faction. Yes. We snuck in and I met my ex-husband who is patrolling. Mm -hmm. And I'm supposed to kill him to make an example, but I'm fairly certain the child that we have shared custody over might complain about this. <laughs> like, that's the kind of, that's a consequence. That's a fun consequence 
I wish that was more common to see those kinds of relationships chosen by players. I know in Mothlight, my own Fortune Dark game, I'm trying to focus like, hey, you have a family, most likely. It's not it's not a very large, it's a small society that you live in. Uh, you probably know most everyone. That can be hard, though. Do you have do you have any solutions for me? How do I encourage that kind of familial role play? Something that I did in Sig Manual of Primes, which I found particularly fun, was that game also has characters with multiple origins, different factions, different heritages and devotions. And what you do is you take one of these bits and apply it to the shared NPC you have with the person on your left. And then take another bit and apply it to the shared NPC you have with the person on your right. So if I'm a waterborn, then maybe I share this waterborn with the person on my right, which means that actually that's my little sister. But my little sister is also an apprentice for the League of Exterminators, which is the under uh, that other PC who's the mentor. So you get those kinds of relationships where NPCs are tying the characters together so that that's how you know each other functionally through these intersecting NPCs. And I found that that does a great job of setting up those kinds of fun situations. In City of Blades, what I actually do is every faction has four contacts. Now, these are all NPCs that are useful and important to, the, to your faction. Pick one of the NPCs that you have a positive relationship with. Pick one you have a negative relationship with. Go. So each person has to have one positive and one negative relationship with these same four characters. So you get to set up these relationships in a, in a really claustrophobic and small town kind of feel. Right. You're setting up some friction. Exactly. In your party friction, which is... Beautiful. I love that kind of role play, personally. Especially because they're all important to your broader faction. So you may hate them, but you kind of need them. So your faction, if I understand in this game, is like your crew in Blade. So everyone is ostensibly part of the same faction whenever you start. Yes. Functionally, you are playing the cohort for the faction. Oh. <laughs> your crew is yeah. the group of specialists that are the special operatives elite team representing your faction. Which is not you. So you are playing, so for instance, the Herald's Guild, which does like the mail normally, they have a group called the Daughters of the Raven. So if you play, your crew will be the Daughters of the Raven, this elite team that specializes in heists and smuggling and going on these missions to gather territory and support your faction. There's other sections of the faction that don't worry about the street war. They're just busy doing things like reading people's mail uh, and blackmailing people and just plain delivering packages. You're the effectively the military wing <laughs> of your faction. Jason, you've been making games for a little while now. Yep. And you've made a number of games where there's like complex cultures of various kinds interacting with one another. My understanding is it's important to you to be sensitive of the way you portray these cultures. Do you want to give anyone some advice who's coming up with their own factions and cultures for their own Blades game, their own city, 
how to do that with sensitivity in mind? Usually I come down to very human needs that everyone has. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs to sleep. Everyone needs to spend time with family. They want to raise children. They want to uh, have time to relax. So focus on those common human elements. Find out what the art is, what the language is, what the stories are, what the food is like, and use that as the foundation of making a group. They're not just a group of spies. They're an ancient order originally founded as librarians for a library that burned down. So they have a ritual of meeting effectively in the burned ashes of their old library. And that's where they do naming ceremonies and things like that. That's a lot more compelling than, yeah, there are a bunch of spies. <laughs> right. There, there are a bunch of spies doesn't bring the richness that you can bring to the table by focusing on the very human expressions of identity. Right. It can be very tempting to start from a single grain. Yep. And build up. But once you get to a certain point, you need to think about the whole picture. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of the human experience and how, how that cascades back down, back to that single grain you started from. So, for instance, the lies of Loch Lamora. A lot of the drama that goes on there is the fact that the main character fell in love with a female member of the same crew. And that has lasting impacts. So that's the the nugget that builds really compelling story. Mm. Yes, I can see that. It's really easy to say they do X, but saying answering the question of why they do X really makes a difference. Thank you. I think we're going to start to wind down now, but I still have a few important things I want to ask you. Certainly. One is, uh, as you mentioned, you, you have a podcast of your own, the panel cast, and you have been attending and recording Metatopia panels for a while now and other panels, I believe. I know it's in, an impossible question, but I'm going to ask you, is there one nugget of information you kind of gathered from listening to other professionals that you'd like to pass on to people listening to this podcast as far as advice? Determine what elements of the job give you passion energy, and joy, and which ones you hate. Delegate and contract out the ones you hate. Excellent. But preciously guard the things that really matter to you that you find really interesting. I like layout. I'm never contracting anyone else to do layout. No, that that lets me relax. Like, I, I legitimately do it to relax and cool down. That said, editing and proofreading just hurts my soul. So I hire other people to do it. So I think that's the most useful thing uh, for anyone in the industry to, to learn. And I blame Fred Hicks for that. He gave that nugget of wisdom like three years ago on a random panel. I appreciate that as well. And I kind of feel similarly to you, honestly, but, but the same same things. Maybe we'll have to have an episode about things we hate as <laughs> to do as designers at some point. But for now... Let's talk about your Kickstarter briefly again and remind people where to go to back it. Yeah, so my Kickstarter, Sig City of Blades, 
is running from October 5th, 2020 to October 30th, 2020. So it's already funded mm-hmm. very clearly. And as the, the time we're recording this, it's a hair away from getting a whole bunch more shiny art. We're hitting stretch goals that let us do things like an offset print run, additional missions from Quinn Murphy, uh, maybe even mm. an actual play from Jeff Stormer, some more crews to play, etc. So it's going to be pretty impressive. And hopefully you folks will be able to join and check us out. Yeah, I, I encourage you all to check it out. This should be coming out in the last week or so of your Kickstarter. And Jason, for the, our audience, Jason knows what he's talking about as far as Kickstarters are concerned. Would you like to remind them of the address of the Kickstarter? Uh, yes. So the Kickstarter is at kickstarter.games. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? www.kickstarter.games. Um, <laughs> yes, that's just Jason's Kickstarter address. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know if you could ask for a better one. Thank you, Jason, for joining us to talk about Sig City of Blades. I'm excited to learn more about it over the coming month. And you should all get on that to be able to receive the beautiful book once it's all done. Once again, I'm Justin, your host, running solo. I would like to plug Unusual Suspects Jam, which is over as of this recording. But once you hear this episode, you should be able to go and find the jam on itch. It's done. And we have added... 100 plus new playbooks, crews, and supplements to Blades in the Dark and other Forge in the Dark games, many of which are more than worth checking out and maybe even tossing a tip the way of the creators. Please check them out. I'm a fan of way too many. We're probably going to have an episode all about that. And other than that, I have a personal plug to make, which is that I just recently released the first supplement to my own role-playing game, Cthulhu Deep Green, called The Linear Men, which is a horror scenario for both CDG and Trophy Dark. So check that out on Itch.io, or if you want to get a print version on drivethrough.com. Thank you all for coming today. I'd like to remind you all that we all start out as hacks in the dark. Enjoy. Enjoy.